Hey, Rockheads. This is Music to Code by Track 12. Check this out. Oh, yeah. Just what you need to get in the zone when you write code. And get this. We just added a site license. Download it once, share it with everybody in your office. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. .NET Rocks, episode 1310, with guest Jason Wyman. Recorded Friday, June 3rd, 2016. Hey, guess what? It's .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're going to be talking about alternate reality augmented and virtual i love it it's gonna be a fun show i can tell it's all good stuff again uh i apologize for my voice i know i sound like bosley from charlie's angels some of you might get that reference but uh uh, that's pretty old school man pretty old school and i do have a cold and i'm trying my best not to make uh make it sound bad and this is the uh we have a strip of shows we've recorded between the Belgian conference, Techorama, yep. Yep. and NDC in Oslo. Right. And I think this might be the last show I ever record from what I would call the landing. Yeah. This temporary office we set up after my basement flooded. Right. How's that going? Well, it, you know, the flood was back in November, if you recall, and we're recording this in early June. So that's how that's going. That's how that's going. Uh, I mean, the good news is uh, there wasn't a lot of, of content damage, per se. It was mostly just the walls and flooring and so forth. Right. And you know my wife. Her reaction was, so what would you like to change? How are we going to renovate? <laughs> so that's one of the reasons it's taken this long is we changed several rooms. One of the things I did was switch to uh, the Lumen Cache lighting. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, so uh, I'm actually running that Lumen Cache gear that we talked about on a geek out two years ago. It's installed in the basement now, man, and it is it is just as cool as you think it would be. Oh, right down to I'll give you this one little tidbit. So you know I use the MR16 halogen lights all throughout the house, the little pot lights where the <laughs> lights are really bright and super hot, like yep. they burn your fingerprints. I off. have them in the studio too. Right. And then I changed those light bulbs a number of years ago for LED drop-in replacements, right? Yep, yep. The Sora bulbs and so forth, which are expensive, but they're very reliable and they look great and they're much more power efficient. Did you have heat problems with those because they use a lot less electricity than more heat backs up at the resistors? It doesn't, it, I mean, it literally just doesn't use as much power. So there's huh. less heat issues there. Wow. Um, one of the heat issues I had was realizing that my old halogen bulbs actually heated parts of my house and now they weren't being heated anymore. So it changed the way the heating in the house worked, actually. Wow. But- Here's the amazing part, switching over to LumenCache, which is DC all the way through. Right. I am taking the existing MR16 light fixture with the existing LED bulb in it 
cutting the transformer off, removing the 120 volt, and just wiring it in the lumen cache system. And it works. Wow. Because those MR16 LED bulbs, they are 12 volts. All MR16 are 12 volts. Sure. But they don't care if they're, they convert their power to DC anyway. So if you just feed them DC, they're fine. They're happy. So in some cases, I haven't even changed the fixture. We've just modified them to run low voltage, consume a third again less power. Wow. And they work the same. Well, that's great. And maybe Lumen Cash can be a sponsor because uh, we've given them a lot of attention. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we have because they did make a really cool product. All right. All right. Well, let's get started here with a little bit we call Better Know a Framework. Awesome. <laughs> You know, I feel like I haven't defined what Better Know a Framework is, because most people are kind of confused by this, I'm sure, if they hear it for the first time. It's been a while. Yeah, it started out as a way for me to pick classes and namespaces in the .NET framework at random and sort of talk about them. And so the idea was that through osmosis, over time, you would just sort of become smarter about what's in the framework. And that sort of ran its course, and uh, we kept finding more and more obscure classes and namespaces to talk about. Uh, and then it just sort of morphed into finding things on the internet. And uh, that's that's where it is now, but we still have the name. And every so often you do pop up a new framework thing and surprise us all. Yep, that's true. But uh, today I have a blog post. Oh. So this is show 1310. So if you go to 1310.pwop.me, this is uh, a blog post by Muhammad Rehan Saeed. And it's a comparison between Azure Active Directory and Identity Server, two totally different products that uh, work in the same space. And he just sort of goes through the pros and cons and feature sets of each. And uh, he really doesn't offer any sound opinions as to, you know, always use this one or always use that one. And he right. comes to the conclusion that, you know, it depends and you have to kind of weigh these features and benefits and uh, in his case, they went with Azure Active Directory because it turns out at his company, they already had an Azure Active Directory account in Office 365, and that just made the choice easy for them. So, but that, that was why. And, but I think it's a really good thing for anyone who's considering, you know, this kind of thing to go take a look at because these are both very powerful uh, products. And I, and I don't know that they're necessarily in competition with each other. Either. No, you know, no, they no. They kind of do different things. True. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's sort of uh, authenticating identity. And uh, there you go. All right. So that's what I got. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1211, the one we did back in October 2015, when we talked to Matthew Wilson about building virtual reality apps in .NET. Yeah. And this comment comes from Cosman Roman, who said, really a great show, guys. I was right there with you all along. I like to watch how concentrated Carl was minutes before the joke and the light on his face when he finally got it. <laughs> and Richard rising slightly in his seat when talking enthusiastically about something. The subject was great. You can discuss all day long about VR. At the end, I stood up to shake your hands. I raised my hand, but wait, what? Where is my <laughs> hand? Oh, crap. This VR thing fooled me again. I better take off these goggles. <laughs> It's a good bit. That's great. Back here on Earth, there's a saying in my country, real life beats any movie script. And I believe that virtual reality technology can be used to present us the real reality in ways we haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. 
Wouldn't it be really cool to have a small silent quadcopter with a 360 camera at an event and you from your home to experience almost the same experience as those being present? Just put on my goggles and I'm right there at the Academy Awards. Yeah. So will they sell tickets to quadcopter uh, 3D spaces? You there know, you go. Instead of seats? Yeah. Because that would be kind of cool, except that you you wouldn't be able to hear anything over the. <laughs> I, I, mean, I like the, the idea. Hand, of, you know, you only need one. Like, what if we, you know, that everybody could share effectively? True. I like the idea of using a virtual reality to pilot a quadcopter, and that you're actually seeing what the quadcopter sees and controlling it at the same time. Yeah, there's a whole racing league of quadcopters that use tech like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It, it is amazing. Uh, Cosman goes on to say, what about sporting events? You know, those moments when an injury breaks or the camera hovers about the audience and can stop over a nice looking blonde, but you get to glimpse it or as it moves again. Guess what? With VR, you could just choose where to look. I don't <laughs> want to see an injured player. Let me see the girl. <laughs> uh, or how about being in Yalta in the same room with Roosevelt, Churchill and Stalin? What if we could start collecting recordings of historical events and disclose them to the public sometime later? Yeah, can you imagine if history class wasn't let's read about history, but let's go experience it? Yeah, especially like the tension in the... When you talk about that, the Yalta meeting especially, right? The dividing up of Germany. Yeah. When the first atomic bomb is about to be dropped, and so Roosevelt's got to kind of warn Stalin that this is going to happen, and like they're already... Well, the Cold War is already underway. Like there's a tension in that room that I don't think any history book could describe as well as if you could see it. Yeah. So yeah. I think it'd be very interesting. I also, you know, love the whole idea of using virtual reality to tour historical sites in, in a way that you couldn't do in person. There is an app in the HoloLens uh, category in the, in the Microsoft Windows Store that I downloaded, which is a virtual tour of two places. One is uh, Rome and the other is um, Machu Picchu. And I got to sit at the top of one of these mountains and actually look around and look at things. And when you gaze on things, little context, contextual help comes up and the, somebody talks to you and tells you what you're looking at. Nice. And, um, yeah, the only disappointing thing is the small, um, uh, field of, field view. of view. Yeah. Yeah. That's a battle. And VR in some ways would be better than that than HoloLens because HoloLens, you're just trying to override the outside world. I'd rather be out away from the outside world. Yeah. I also like that you could do things that you couldn't do physically, like become mouse sized and go up some ducks or something. You know? Oh, yeah. It'd be just being able to explore at a different level. Fantastic. And Cosman closes out with saying, I don't know that I actually want to see a podcast recorded in virtual reality, you know, because all you guys are probably sitting in your underwear. Oh. Yeah, you know what? And we have faces for radio anyway, man. Like, look, <laughs> it's about the conversation, not our posture or position. We're all in different rooms in different locations. I don't know that it would actually make sense to make a, uh, a VR recording of us. But no. we'll figure something out. There's so many possibilities. Yep. So, Cosman, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet. We wash our underwear with him. So that brings us to our guest today, Jason Wyman. He's a programmer working in web development, games, and VR. Jason runs the site unity3d.college, teaching new developers how to get started in the game industry, and experienced engineers also 
to learn a few tricks. For fun, he likes to hang out with his wife and kids, code, and talk about coding. Sounds like a wonderful existence. Welcome to the show, Jason. Hey, thanks, Carl. Hey, Richard. First of all, any comment on anything we've said so far while you're waiting in the wings? So what I wanted to talk about was the uh, virtual reality events that you guys were talking about recording. There's actually been quite a few of those going on recently. There was just a VR comedy show that was put on live. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw the last set of debates were streamed in VR, too. Wow. No, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I think there's going to be a lot more content coming soon. I just saw an announcement today, too, about uh, music videos getting recorded in VR. Well, one of the things I saw in the Oculus Rift was a uh, little clip of a Paul McCartney concert where you're actually sitting on stage with McCartney and the band as they're playing Live and Let Die. That's kind of one of the first-gen VR recordings, too. They're, they seem to be getting quite a bit better now, too. Have you seen the um, Cirque du Soleil videos, too? No. Those things are awesome. No. So they put you kind of right in the middle of the stage, and the whole act is going on around you. So you're just kind of right up in there. Now that's going to make you nauseous. I've sat in the audience of a Cirque du Soleil show, and it made me nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> that one was actually pretty... Um, pretty tame as far as the experience is going i haven't seen anybody really get sick in there i I probably demoed it to 40 50 people and it it really blew people away i found that those real life videos that you see in oculus rift tend to be easier on the stomach than um you know generated 3d worlds where you know at the speed that they run you around and stop you is is very disconcerting yeah having any kind of artificial locomotion can induce some sickness and then it gets really bad when it's a jarring motion. So if you, if you're just going straight and steady, it's relatively calm. But as soon as you start stopping, turning or, you know, anything like that, it gets really bad. Mm. Uh, The video ones generally seem to be really just kind of stationary though. You're in the middle looking all around and there's all kinds of cool stuff going on around you. But the metaphor in that scenario is you're seated, right? You're it's there's no point where they're trying to make you feel like you're moving, even though the world around you may be moving. Exactly. Yeah. The, uh, standing VR artificial locomotion in there is really, really bad. It's only really good if you're sitting, it's a little bit better if you're sitting and you're kind of in a cockpit or Mm. if you're sitting and the world is really small and you're kind of moving around just a little bit. But yeah, if you stand, I, I've done some experiments with that where I'd stand and try to do some artificial locomotion where I'm just trying to move my character forward with a game controller or the touchpad. And uh, the first time I did it, I almost fell over. Wow. And I have a number of friends work that work in the, the games industry, and they're saying we basically have to reinvent games because the locomotion models are just so difficult. And in many ways, games are wildly overwhelming because they are meant to be further away from you. It's supposed to be that three feet away on a monitor. Yeah. And now that they're strapped to your face. They're just kind of sensory overload. Yeah, you definitely have to slow down a lot. A lot of the uh, existing games right now do terrible as ports because if, if you imagine playing a normal first-person shooter or something, you know, you're spinning around really fast, jumping and flying all over the place. and. Almost everybody gets really sick off of that. Yeah, I have a buddy who works on Call of Duty. He says, you know, if you actually did the math, when you run in Call of Duty, you're moving at 30 miles an hour. Yeah, sounds about right. Right. Well, and of course, that makes sense in a game because it makes it faster for you because you don't want to be bored. But when you get immersive, it's just horrifying. Yep. So let's talk about this HTC product. Is it called Vive or Vive or how do you pronounce that? It's the uh, HTC Vive. 
Vive. All right, good. And this has uh, taken swept uh, awards. Like, uh, what was it? Uh, the Consumer Electronics Show 2016 it won some great awards. Tell, tell us about this. Yeah, so um, the Vive came out right after the Oculus did, although they actually shipped before the Oculus shipped. I don't know if you guys saw the big debacle going on mm-mm, there. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I just got my Oculus yesterday and I ordered it, you know, uh, half an hour after they opened up pre-orders. But the Vive came a long time ago. And, um, the kind of the, the big difference between the Vive and the Oculus and kind of the other solutions is the room scale tracking. So you can actually walk around in about a 15 foot by 15 foot area and it tracks your position, rotation, of your of your head and of the two controllers so you have two you know nice handheld controllers with a trackpad a grip on them and uh, you can kind of see them in the real world and it really adds a lot to the experience it's kind of like um if you guys have played with google cardboard and then jumped over to like a gear vr i kind of see the room scale and the controllers as about that big of a jump it's totally different. I haven't had experience with either of those, so maybe we can back up and explain this a bit. Is uh, is the Oculus Rift is completely encapsulating, right? And uh, I, what you're saying is that this actually gives you a representation of the real world, so that you can walk around and not bump into things. Right. So when you set up the Vive, the first thing you'll do is walk around the area and set up the bounds, and then when once you have the headset on, it shows what they call the chaperone bounds. So as soon as you get close to something in the real world, it lights up a little blue wall. It also has a front-facing camera, so you can actually see the objects kind of in a a blue Tron-like outline. All right. When you get when you get close to anything, so you're not really at risk of bumping into anything, and you can walk around your your area and play all around there. Wow. So I guess this is really good for um, uh, just using the boundaries instead of the details of your environment as sort of the game palette. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice because it's really easy to set it up. Um, I've taken my setup around a bunch of different places and it takes, you know, two, three minutes to just walk around, outline the area, and then it just tracks it. So, so there's a couple little boxes you have to position in the room. Yeah. So there are two lighthouses that you want to position in opposite corners of the room. And right. it makes it so that, uh, you know, you, you don't get any occlusion. So the, the system can see the headset and the controllers, you know, even if one controller is behind you and one's in front of you, you spin around real fast or anything like that. Now, the Oculus nice. requires a computer. Does this? Yes. Yeah. They both have pretty much the same specs computer wise, other than a little bit of difference in USB ports. So if you're walking around, how are you tethered to a computer or is it just how does that work? There's about a 15 foot cable. Okay. And it just runs out of the back. It's got everything kind of encapsulated in that one cable. It's about the same as the uh, Oculus Rift cable. So it isn't truly mobile then? No. I mean, you're still limited to the area, you know, whatever yeah, predefined where the lighthouses are. You're, you're yeah. sort of in a bounded 15-foot cube. Yep, I got you. Right. And, and there are people that have done some hacks with it where they set up, you know, big areas, warehouses that you can walk around with these things strapped into a backpack on your back. Wow. But um, the general user is going to have, you know, a decent sized area they've set up that they're playing in consistently. Yeah. I have mine set up in my office. So there's a play area in front of me, but it also, the the tracking is good enough that it tracks all the way to my desk, which is kind of outside of the play area. Does it track people? Like, can you see other people in the room? 
Uh, no, it just tracks the devices. So it just tracks the headset and the controllers. What I mean is it gives you a, a representation of the walls and the desks and all that stuff. Does it also give you an outline of people? No, it doesn't. Oh, really? It doesn't. It, it no, does it, if you turn on the camera, though. You can still see the people walking in front of you. So oh. they added that sometime after the release. And occasionally I see my dogs walking right in front of me or laying down on the floor while, while I'm trying to walk around. Okay. Huh. All right. Yeah. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to picture in my mind what it looks like. I suppose there's a video and on, uh, on, uh, htcvive.com. There might be. I'm yeah. not sure. And it does take quite a bit of PC, right? This is not a trivial machine you need. Right. It requires, uh, I think the recommended spec is about an NVIDIA 970. The CPU requirements aren't really that high. I'm running mine off of, I think, an eight-year-old i7. It's a 2600K. But it's it's mainly about the GPU. Um, I also, when I first got mine, I started running it off of a slightly older card, like a ATI 280X, which is probably like a $100, $150 video card. It runs about 75% of the stuff. But if you really want to get into it, I'd go with either the 970 or one of the newer NVIDIA cards that have just been released. You can spend a lot of money on video cards these days. And it's $799 for the unit itself, right? Right. Yeah, and that includes everything, the headset, the controllers, and the, the base stations. Nice. So what about for developers? I, I know that uh, it works with Unity and it works with um, oh, uh, uh, Steam and uh, Unreal Engine. Right. So you can use it, like you said, with Unity or Unreal. Um, right now I do all my development in Unity. I think mm-hmm. the Steam guys and HTC guys are generally using Unity too, just because that's where their developer audience is. Yeah. Most of the games being built right now for the device are being built in Unity. And I think the same goes with uh, the Oculus Rift too. Hmm. Cool. Which is also, of course, all C-sharp development. So everybody listening, you know, if they're sure. into .NET, they can easily make the transition over to doing Unity development and building their own VR games. I mean, it's C-sharp at least, but is it really that easy to switch? It's not hard at all, I think. I mean, it's C-sharp. It's using mono under the hood, so it's around 3.5-ish. So you lose a couple things, but nothing that you can't work without just, you know, a couple little niceties. Right. But it's really what if you spend, you know, a week or two in there just getting kind of used to the mindset, it's really not a big change. It's more about learning kind of the nuances of the editor, figuring out what stuff is already there for you cuz a, a lot of the stuff that you would think you need to do is already right. there in the editor that's, built that's for nice. you and you don't have to do That's it. exactly what I was going to say. I've done some work in Unity and it, it the scripting, you can think of it as like, um, Richard, you remember VB, which was all event driven. It's sort of like that. There are events that happen that you just basically handle. And you're, the code that you write is generally, uh, you know, handling a single frame. So you're keeping state, you're moving things, you're changing positions of stuff, you're, uh, you know, telling something to start or stop or, or move or stop. You, you know, it's really, not a whole lot of code. Yeah, exactly. I think um, a, a lot of the games that I built, you know, in a day, they're around a hundred lines of code a piece. Yeah, and you get you know kind of a full fledged experience where you can control everything. A, a lot of it's just done by the editor for you. You just have to know what's there. One of the biggest problems I've seen for new people getting into Unity is that they tend to 
kind of jump in and not look at what's already there. And then they start rebuilding functionality that's already in the editor. Right. So they want to animate things and start manually moving things with code instead of just adding keyframes in the little animation editor. Mm. Uh, basic stuff like that. I, I see a lot of that happening with new guys. But if you just, like I said, spend a week or so playing around learning the different parts, you can build something in, in a day or two. You know, and, then- and what a fun week that would be. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, no, no kidding. Just a sort of a, a diving kind of thing. It's just, it's interesting when I talk to folks who've only ever lived with C Sharp in the context of .NET and Visual Studio to come over. Yes, it's the same language, but you're really running on a different platform. Yeah, and it's all in Visual Studio too, assuming you work on Windows. Right, right. So the, the editor's familiar. Yeah, what happens is generally you would create a script and name it and then apply it to a particular object, let's say, um, you know, a particular entity and on a, on a particular place in the hierarchy. And then you would uh, double click on it to edit it in Visual Studio and you would handle a, an update event, which happens once per frame. You know, there's a lot more to it, of course, but you know, that, that gets you started. So you end up going back and forth between Visual Studio and Unity, but it's, but it's more like just for simple event handling. Most of the logic for for uh, making things work and exist in the world uh, is just done with the editor, right? And I think, well, a lot of the state stuff you'll handle in your own code, yeah. But like like Carl was saying, for instance, if I wanted to, I have a gun in my game, which is something I'm actually working on. And w- what I'll do is create a, a weapon class for that, and it inherits off mono behavior, which is a, a built-in class in the editor. Like Carl was saying, it gets all of the different events. So there's an update event that gets called once per frame. There's a start event that gets called when the when the object is created or instantiated, as they call it. Um, there's an awake event that gets called before that. And then there are also events for things like when a collision happens, when a, when you enter a trigger area. But w- what I would do with like a gun is set it up. So in, in the update, I can just check to see if the fire button has been pressed and like everything else, there's an input system built in. So you just do a check like if input dot button and then pass in the word fire one and it'll just return true if that button was pressed. When that's pressed, you just go into your if statement. You would spawn, you know, whatever the thing is that you want to launch. If it's a, a rocket you want to shoot out, spawn a little rocket, give it a little bit of force forward or go flying forward. And that'll have its own little script on there to handle collisions. Or if it's a normal gun, you'll do what's called a ray cast, which just shoots an invisible line in the direction that you want and tells you if you've collided with anything. So if that ray is going to hit something. Mm. And that's probably the most complicated part for new people is figuring out things like ray casts and collisions. But it's all, you know, one line of code per thing. It's pretty straightforward. And it, my experience with Unity is playing Kerbal Space Program. <laughs> And so the one thing I've learned about Unity is it finally went 64-bit in a big way with with release 5. Does that impact most people? I mean, the only reason it impacts Kerbal is that with all the add-ins, I literally have like a 6-gig runtime now. Yeah. Right. I don't think it has much of an impact outside of a couple of really big games and games that allow for add-ins. The majority of stuff, you know, is kind of built in a, a lot smaller memory footprint than that. No, just like normal .NET apps, but there are definitely, you know, Kerbal is a good example, and then there are other 
really big applications with lots of stuff going on. You know, most games are built to target a wider variety of systems, so it doesn't help a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah, and that kind of makes sense. I mean, the only reason you go to 64-bit is to address more than 4 gigs of RAM, and if you're doing that, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> That's a lot of memory. Well, you're allowing plugins that aren't very efficient usually. Yes. The nets you know, in the Kerbal world these days we now also have plugins that monitor the other plugins to figure out which plugins are badly behaved. Do you um have any favorites of uh games or experiences that you've had with uh Vive? My fa- the problem is my favorites seem to change every day because sure. every day I'm kind of nice. going through and downloading a new a new experience. Most of the games and experiences are, you know, targeted at 20 minutes to an hour and a half right now. Yeah. There's not a whole lot that's, that's really long. And, um, I don't, I don't know that I have a real favorite right now. My favorite last night was Blaze Rush on the Oculus, mm. which was a lot of fun. It's a little game where, um, you're driving these, what essentially feels like you're driving remote control cars with weapons and boosters getting chased by, a big uh, machine on a track and racing everybody else, trying to knock everybody else off the track and blow them up. But it's the, um, the the scale and the way they've set it up is really nice. So it feels like you're just kind of floating right above your car, kind of off to the side a little bit and watching the entire thing while you control it. So it's like a high-tech RC car type experience. And again, that sort of seated environment driving makes a lot of sense for being comfortable in VR. Right. And that's, yeah, that's definitely a, a seated experience. Um, on the Vive, though, it's just all kinds of different things that use the controllers really well. There are, um, the favorite around my house right now is Audio Shield, which is just a game where you have, you pick a soundtrack and then little blue and red, ball, like spacey looking ball things fly at you and you have to block them with blue and red shields. It's kind of like the, uh, guitar hero of virtual reality right now i think it was in the top 100 on steam games total like not just filtered to vr games and it's probably one of the most popular games there and it's the one that uh, my wife and kids enjoy the most other than that the my two youngest boys really like anything where you can shoot stuff sure yeah that's always kind of a gimme but it's interesting to see i mean audio shield doesn't sound that interesting but i'm seeing a, i'm actually looking at a video on steam and it's like okay i, I get that because it's inter it's an interactive immersive experience not necessarily violent you know that that, that would be an adventure that's that's yeah. cool and and the way you know it bases the game off of the music that you choose so it's different every right. time and if you look at that guy's work he's actually done the same game for non-vr stuff two or three right. other times so i assume for him it was just you know ported over reuse all of the the hard stuff and yeah make a new ui and all of a sudden you got an awesome hit game absolutely and i think just converting just about anything to vr makes it look better like i said some experiences (laughs) get worse you know like ones where you have to move too much or too fast but yeah just kind of looking at anything in vr when you can walk around it put your head right up to it and kind of inspect it yeah it it, it's mind-blowing it just makes the experience so much better hey richard yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? It must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to announce the .NET Rocks Virtual World of Comedy. Oh. So far, I've got an empty room. 
<laughs> I got a, a window and a, and a desk and well, I guess that's about it. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a D experience subscription from developer express to one lucky member of the .NET rocks fan club. But first, Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant.net solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Chris McGinty. Ah, congratulations, Chris. Golf, Golf clap for you, for sir. You. And uh, Chris just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at Developer Express. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And Jason, we'd like to ask our guests, if you had $5,000 to spend on any technology right now today, what would you buy? Yeah, laptop from MSI. So I've been going around demoing the Vive for a bunch of people at different events locally, and I keep hauling around a big desktop that can handle the system. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I was looking at that. I just spec'd it out. It's the uh, MSI GT80S Titan, and then it's the SLI 072 version. I think so Richard like and I have both had... $4,400 laptop. I think Richard and I have both had laptops that big. I think one of them is being used as a planter at his house right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. It's just all about the uh, video cards and that thing. Hey, Richard yeah. had one of these laptops in L.A. once when we were at a PDC and a, and a regional director meeting. We were all in this big room, and he plugged his laptop in, and the power went out all over Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody looks at Richard, and he just goes, What? <laughs> So this is a $4,000 laptop. And if I read this correctly, it has a pair of GTX 980s in it. Yep. That's, so that's why I want it. A dual top of the line video card laptop. Good God. As long as your laptop is structurally reinforced and lined with asbestos, you can put this on your lap. <laughs> Either that or if you never plan on having children, there you, you go. Just go that route. Because it's going to sterilize you. <laughs> there needs to be a little note on it. Warning, do not use on lap. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't imagine. Oh, my God. This is awesome. That is a beast, man. You know, think, about this, think about this, Richard. Um, a lot of our winners in the past have gotten new rigs, but that has included, you know, a PC, a laptop, uh, a couple of tablets, uh, you know, a phone, uh, uh, a speaker system, that kind of stuff. This guy is spending almost his entire $5,000 on a laptop. Yep. Uh, and one machine. One machine. That's all I need. I was pricing out a top-of-the-line Alienware gaming machine with the triple Titans. 9000 bucks. Wow. Wow. Well, if you put three Titan video cards into one computer, 
And because those things are $1,500 a shot all by themselves and will heat a town. So why would you put three of them in? Jason, why do we need so much video horsepower? Uh, A lot of it's because you need to stay over 90 frames a second the entire time. If you dip below 90 frames a second, the game, the the experience gets really bad. Uh, That's when you start feeling motion sickness or it feels a little bit weird. Things aren't kind of lining up. And And so you've got two 1080p screens going 90 frames a second. Essentially, yeah. And then if you want the game to, you know, have any kind of good quality you've got to have pretty high-end video cards right and then like i said even with these laptops those 980s in the laptop aren't quite equivalent to a 980 in in a pc so that that, that'll get you around the experience of a single 980 i think on on an actual desktop which is right around the recommended interesting and if i had any extra budget left over i get another vibe for my wife all right she really nice. wants one for the living room. And that's really interesting. Is, you, is your wife a technology person? Not at all. And she hates video games, but she loves games on the Vive. That's really interesting. It's the first VR experience that she's actually been into. This is a line crosser then. This is not just for geeks. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was. Um, I was totally shocked when I got it because I've had her. I've been getting the VR devices you know, since the first Oculus came out and I've had her get into them over and over and every time she kind of fights me and wants to get out and doesn't want to play with it anymore she she doesn't like them at all i put her into the vive with a a game i'd thrown together in a weekend and she wouldn't get out she just stayed in there for forever you need to to get another one yeah yeah so and then it's the first time she's asked me to buy another 800 hundred dollar toy so she can have (laughs) one in the living room (laughs) Can can two vibes share a space with uh, lighthouses? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've actually done that somewhat recently. We're demoing in an area that's you know twenty feet wide, and it, it actually worked better having two lighthouses, just one on each side, up nice and high, than having four of them in there. Oh yeah, and they just they track fine. Yeah, so they, they work by tracking the headset and the controllers with uh, lasers that go vertical and horizontal and then they send out the info to the headset so they're able to track you know multiple controllers it comes with two controllers but i've seen people use more than that you know three or four when they're recording stuff interesting yeah i I think it's going to be really interesting to see what other devices people start building for these two so there are people building like gun attachments obviously as the the easy first one but i think it'll probably be more like the when the Wii first came out and there were, you know, golf club things and bats and all that, I think there'll be a lot of that coming out eventually that'll probably be a, a whole lot better because they won't just be a holder. They'll actually be tracking the entire device. Tell us about the controllers that you hold. What do they, what do they do and how do you see, how do they b- become visualized? So the controllers, um, they're handheld. They're kind of a straight line. You grip them. Um, I don't, I don't know how to explain the grip, I guess. So they're handheld. They're kind of straight. They have a donut at the end that the system uses for tracking. And then underneath, there's a little trigger that has, you know, variable sensitivity. So it can tell how far you've pulled it in. Mm-hmm. There's a grip on each side. And then there's a kind of a trackpad that you use your thumb with. Yeah. And that thing's touch sensitive. So for instance, when you're in Unity, if you're, you know, coding with the thing, you just get an event for when you touch the touchpad anywhere 
with your thumb, you get the X and Y coordinates of where you touched it. Okay. You also get another event for when you clicked it with those, with those coordinates. Um, but the, the main thing is that it just tracks the orientation and position in the real world. So a lot of the games that you'll see for the Vive, they'll show, you know, you'll start off with your hand when you pull the trigger. It shows your hand kind of closing up around it. And then one of the games that I built was a uh, VR baseball one. So you're holding the controller kind of like a baseball bat. And then you just swing it along and, you know, you're holding it kind of at the grip of the bat where you normally would. And yeah. you see the whole bat kind of swing along with it. The tracking is really good. And Cool. Can you actually program in... Um you know, arms and hands and stuff like that. I noticed that in the Unity uh, online store. I can't remember what the community is called, but you can buy these 3D objects that you can rig up. And I'm, I noticed a couple of them are hands. And uh, you, you sort of can, I, I don't know, can you draw hands out where your hands are and actually make a move? Uh, so you can't track exactly to where your hands are with the, with the controllers. It doesn't, you know, have tracking of your fingers or anything. Okay. But the ones that you, the ones that you're seeing up on the asset store are just kind of a generic hand that has an animation that closes up when you trigger it. Right. And you, like I said, usually that's bound to the trigger. So you pull the trigger. The more you pull it, the clo- the more the hand closes. Yeah. And in most of those games, that's used for things like grabbing. So you'll reach down pull the trigger, lift up the object that you're trying to grab. Right. Um, and then a lot of the other ones, the hand is only there kind of as a, a stopgap until you have um, whatever thing that you're controlling in the game. But okay. also just when you're in, uh, by default, when you're in there, you actually see the controllers. So you see them exactly as they are. You see where you're touching with your thumb pad. You ah. see the trigger as it's going up and down. So you push it in the real world and you see it in the virtual world kind of go- going in and out like that. And if you look online, there are actually videos of people showing how good the tracking is where they're, they have the headset on and they just toss the other guy the controller and he catches it. Hmm. Wow. That's pretty cool. So there's a ton of assets you can get at the asset store. Like you, you don't have to be a 3D artist, right? No. There's, everything you want to buy is here. Yeah, definitely. I am not a 3D artist and almost everything that I use comes straight from the asset store. So that's one thing for anybody who hasn't used Unity before and is thinking about getting into it. If you're not an artist, don't waste your time trying to make art. Just jump into the asset store. There's a ton of good free stuff. And the stuff, and then when the you're stuff ready is to, cheap. Yeah, yeah. The, the stuff that's not free is, you know, five to 40 bucks right. for high-end stuff. So if you're, you know, don't try to find an artist. Don't try <laughs> to make your own terrible art. Just... Grab something free, build something, and then if you want, spend you know a hundred bucks upgrading your art pack. Yep, yep, indeed. So, so it, the pay art is better than the free art. Sometimes the, the, there's a lot of really good free art, but it really depends on what it is you want to make. So, if you want right. to make, you know, if if you if you need a bigger variety of stuff, you'll go towards some of the paid stuff. But like you guys said, the paid stuff is really really cheap. In addition to the art, there's also a lot of good code samples and um, other kind of what they call plugins for Unity that add all kinds of different functionality. A lot of those are generally scripts or combination of scripts and art and other animations and stuff that kind of extend what the editor can do. I was looking at one earlier today that you put onto your objects. So imagine you have a set of brick walls that you bought 
you put this asset onto there and then they become destructible brick walls. <laughs> right. And for instance, in my, so they have explosions and things that you can set off. Yeah. Yeah. And it's as simple as calling a, a line of code in there to, to make it happen. Or may, some of them are, you know, just when they get a collision. So in my uh, baseball game that I put together for the Vive, I happened to be looking at the asset store, saw a glass breaking package that was 20 bucks. <laughs> thought, hey, why don't I make it so you can break the glass in the game? So it's great. Spent 20 bucks, dropped it in. The ball hits, uh, you know, the scoreboard and the thing shatters. Yeah. You, Love it. You just it wire 20 it up. bucks in 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. You just wire up a script to the right object and you're done. Yeah. And in fact, in that case, it was a matter of dropping in a breakable glass prefab. So prefab is yeah. a uh, mod. It's kind of a combination of models and scripts and other things and children on there that's used in unity. They're the objects that you instantiate when you're playing. So a character would have a character prefab. Your weapons would have a weapon prefab. They would each have their own weapon. Prefab. You can think of them like custom components. Exactly. That's a perfect description. And so there's complete games and things up here with all the source code for you to, to learn from. Oh, yeah. 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 There are a lot of complete projects. Uh, you can go through them and figure out you know, how everything works. And then a lot of the time I'll grab some of those and just pull out the parts that I care about, you know, which right. is usually the art for me. But you know, another nice thing in Unity, too, is even if you're not really experienced with code, you can still kind of get along and make games. I know some yeah. artists who make Unity games. They don't know C Sharp at all. Mm. They still are able to build their games just by using some of the visual editing plugins and you know learning their way around the editor a bit. And you know, I I've only done Unity for Hololens, and listen to me, only for Hololens. Most people would kill for a Hololens. I'm sorry, but I imagine the process is very similar for for taking something that was built for one platform moving it to another like i found that just taking something right out of the box and making it work on a hololens was as simple as making a, a black background you know and just getting the camera in the right place yeah it's relatively easy to switch between different input devices and platforms like that i haven't done the uh hololens development yet just because i've been too busy with vr stuff do you have but one um, you know, I was going to order one. I got the order form and I decided I would wait and let somebody who was actually going to build on it order theirs first and not yeah. going to hog the spot and have it sit behind me and have my wife ask me why I didn't buy her another Vive instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like jumping from if you built a normal 3D game and you want to jump over to a VR game, it's generally as simple as checking a checkbox. If you want to add support for the controllers, you just download the asset pack off the asset store and then you have control, you drop in a prefab and then you have controller support and they're, nice. they're tracking, you're walking around, your headsets being tracked, you know, positions and buttons are all working. Yeah, great. This is cool. I mean, it really comes down to coming up with a good idea, building a great story into it and then assembling the pieces to implement that story. One of the things that we've been talking about in the HoloLens community, for lack of a better word, as small as it is, is what are the practical applications beyond gaming, you know, for, for businesses, for general purpose use, you know, maybe for use in the home or use in the home office or use in, you know, um, in an industry or some other 
uh, business case. Have you seen anything uh, in that regard? Yeah, with the VR development, I've seen a lot of people who have all kinds of different business plans, ranging everywhere from training applications to you know, different entertainment stuff. I don't know if you guys have seen the um, uh, Six Flags has been developing VR roller coasters now. Oh, wow. Nice. So you get on the roller coaster, put on a VR headset, and you know, it's a totally different experience. Let's them repurpose old, unpopular roller coasters and Theoretically, you could just swap out the experience every time. Um, I saw Tim Huckabee talking somewhat recently about how they were doing some, what was it, molecule editing in VR and and with the HoloLens too, I think. Yep. And then printing those things out, which I thought was awesome. He talked about that years ago. It's a Scripps Institute um, application that was originally done in XAML in WPF and then ported to the original Surface, which was the, the tabletop computer. And uh, now it's running in HoloLens. Yeah, yeah. And he was doing that in Unity, too. Yep. Which is really cool. Um, and then I've seen, you know, lots of other people have contacted me about projects that they're working on for just general business apps where they want to either show off something related to their business or they want to kind of experiment and see if there's a good use and a good, you know, good way to integrate it with their stuff. Very good. So what's in your inbox? What's on your to-do list? Um, Right now I'm just kind of working on releasing as many VR games as possible. So I'm trying to uh, just prototype out as a bunch of different stuff uh, for a while, I was doing a different game every day, just trying to build them out, play them, and see see how they feel. Try to get an idea of what's fun and what's not. And um, going forward, I'm just working on releasing one every month or so, maybe kind of pick up the pace. Uh, I, I think it's good to get in right now. I think VR right now is kind of at the point where you know doing app development was when the first iPhone came out. The market's fresh. There's not a lot there. Yeah. It's pretty easy to succeed, but there's a very short timeline. If, if you don't jump in, you know, in the next nine to 12 months, you may very well kind of miss out on, on the gold rush there. Yeah, it's true. Do you have to choose between the Vive and the Oculus, or is it really feasible to build a game for both? Like, how different are they? No, you can definitely build for both. Um, if you want to do a seated experience... Or anything that doesn't use the the tracked controllers, there's really no difference at all. You can build you know one one app and have it just run on both. Um, right now, I'm working on doing things with tracked controllers, but the Oculus is launching their tracked controllers and their room scale setup later on this year. I think around November, is, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure on the date. So th- at that point, they'll be about the same. And the other question, of course, is how many devices are there? Like, are they actually selling enough for this to matter? This is very cool, but, you know, making good games takes time and money. Like, is it gonna, is it gonna stick? Is it worth it? Uh, what I've seen is, you know, if I had to guesstimate, I'd say there are probably somewhere between 10 and 50,000 vibes out there. I don't really know the Oculus numbers and those numbers seem to be going up just constantly. My sales numbers are going up every week. Because it is an expensive toy, right? Like, there's no question about it. 800 bucks for the headset, $1,000 for a video card capable of doing this, and a decent machine. Like, it's, it's, this is not something you get your five-year-old. Right. I, I, like I said, I think of it a lot like 
an iPhone. It's an expensive toy for right now for people who have a lot of money. Right. Yeah. And and we're st- I'm still waiting for the amaz- the game that gets you. Like what is this? What is the 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 Mario Brothers of the <laughs> of the VR world, right? Everybody must have this game. You will buy this product to get to this product. And I hope it's, in some ways I hope it's not a game. Because it doesn't seem like VR and gaming are that good together. You know, there's so many problems here. Maybe there's some other app ideas out there that will be more compelling. I hope it's not Candy Crush. That's all I got to say. Or I'll yeah. be like, honey, I'll see you in a few weeks. Because my, my wife was addicted to Candy Crush. Mine too. Yeah. Well, um, before we go, I just want to give everybody a little tip. If they get their hands on a HoloLens, I know this is not exactly about Vive, but um, one of the things about the HoloLens is that it, the battery lasts for maybe two hours tops, but it's USB chargeable. And I have one of these great big honking batteries, you know, rechargers that can recharge an iPhone like seven times before you have to recharge them. And you can just put that in your pocket and put a cable right up to the hollow lens and wear that thing all day long so there's my tip for the day well jason it's been great talking to you thanks i learned a whole lot of stuff about the vibe and and uh, it's always great talking about unity and thank you yeah it was good talking to you guys too and if you're ever out um in the southern california area let me know and i'll give you a good demo of these systems absolutely i would love awesome. that all right and we'll see you next time on dotnet rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in september 2002 and make sure you check out our sponsors they keep us in business now go write some code see you next time got a transmitter band by the mcc yes